Many things have been said of God, that he's good or loving, or if you don't believe in him, you might say that he doesn't exist or that he's just a figment of your imagination. But why would God make us uneasy? My name is Stephen Cram, and welcome to My Apologies. An apology doesn't just mean saying that you're sorry. An apology can also mean giving a reason for something that you believe. For example, if I ask you, why do you believe that Pluto isn't a planet? I'm asking for an apology. You hear about Pluto? That's messed up, right? On this channel, we will examine various apologies for living a life of faith and virtue. And if I say something that offends you, my apologies. The title that C.S. Lewis gave to chapter 5, which is the chapter we're looking at today, is We Have Cause to Be Uneasy. So today, we're talking about what Lewis has to say about God making us uneasy, or in other words, fearing God. What is the fear of God? To talk about this, Lewis still isn't to the point where he's talking about a Christian God specifically. So he won't be using scripture or anything like that. He's not trying to prove the God of the Bible quite yet. He'll get to that, but that's not where he's at at this point. So how can we learn about God if we're not going to use scripture? He brings up two things that all people across all cultures and times can use to learn about God. And the first is nature, and the second is the moral law. And from each of these, he's going to show how God is both beautiful, good, moral, etc., all good things, but also how he is terrifying and dangerous. So to get started, how do most of us learn about God? Well, the first way that might come to mind is we go to church or a similar kind of religious meeting where someone tells us about God. We also might read some scriptures or holy books. Or maybe we would have someone tell us about God, someone that we met on the street or someone at work, something like that. And these people learn from one of those other two sources, going to a religious meeting or having scriptures. So all of this sort of knowledge that we normally get about God comes from what's called divine revelation, meaning that God, the divine, revealed these things about him to humans. That's what we're getting in church. That's what we're hearing from scripture. But if we're talking to someone who isn't religious, they don't believe in divine revelation. They're not convinced of God yet, so they wouldn't be convinced that God would reveal things to us. So if we're talking to such a person, what can we learn about the creator, the one who created this all, without using divine revelation? This is the question that Lewis is addressing here. He's established in the preceding chapters that a belief in the creator God of some sort, not necessarily a Christian God or a Muslim God, but some kind of creator God, is a more realistic view of the world than a pure materialist worldview. So, with just this in mind, what else can we learn about God? First, Lewis directs our attention to nature. And everyone has access to nature, so it's a great source of information. And I'm not just talking about that kind of nature that you get when you go out into the mountains or go on a hike or on a boating trip. I mean, that, that is nature, but I'm also talking about nature in general, the kind of nature that's all around us. If you go outside, even in the middle of the city, you can see the sky. You probably can find some grass, some birds. You can go in your backyard. Everything, everything we see around us is part of nature. Unless you live in a literal concrete box with no windows, no doors, and you never leave, you have some experience of nature. So it can be a great source of information for us. Lewis writes, If we use that, that being nature, as our only clue, then I think we should have to conclude that he was a great artist, for the universe is a very beautiful place, but also that he is quite merciless and no friend to man, for the universe is a very dangerous and terrifying place. So he says from nature we can learn that God is a great artist, that he appreciates beauty. The house that I lived in before I got married was right at the foothills of a beautiful mountain range. I could literally run from my front porch up into the mountains and do some trail running just from my front porch. 
when I was up there, being able to see the size and the majesty of the mountains, the way that the sunset cast beautiful light on the hillside, how big they were compared even to the skyscrapers that humans had built in the valley below. It was breathtaking. And of course, if you don't have access to that kind of beauty in your front porch, like I don't, I don't have it anymore because I live in Dallas, but you can always go visit it. You have national parks, which preserve the beauty of nature. You could go visit Grand Canyon or Yellowstone, all these different environments that just take your breath away. Or if you expand beyond our little planet, you have the night sky where you can look up and see the cosmos. You can look at the pictures that are taken by like the Hubble Space Telescope, which shows us the wonder of the universe that we couldn't see with our naked eyes. Pictures of stars and planets and supernovas and all these things in space that we could never see without the help of technology. It's incredible, the creation that exists around us. But all of that beauty is also deadly and terrifying. The mountains that took my breath away. People get lost in the mountains all the time. There are mountain lions that want to eat you, cliffs that you could fall off of, lions and tigers and bears, sick and bears. Nature is a deadly place. It's terrifying. Space that we talked about, it's so wonderful to view at a distance, but it's basically a vacuum full of scorching hot fireballs and flying boulders, all of which could destroy you in an instant. Space is not a place you want to be trapped in. And I think this is why people like survival shows, Man vs. Wild, or the show Alone. They like to see humans persisting in the face of terrifying, hard-to-survive nature. If it wasn't beautiful, then it wouldn't be a show you'd like to watch. Like if every episode was just in the middle of some kind of dead desert where nothing exists and there's no pretty landscape, you wouldn't watch that. And if it wasn't dangerous, well, there wouldn't be any obstacle for Bear Grylls or whoever the survivor is to overcome. There wouldn't be anything compelling for us to watch. And I think also we know that if we were put in that exact same survival scenario, we wouldn't probably last long. How long do you think you could make it? A day? A week? I know I've done my fair share of camping and outdoors adventures, but realistically, if you drop me in the middle of the Antarctic tundra or something, I give myself a day tops. Whenever I think of nature in these terms, there's an Instagram page that always comes to mind. It's called Nature is Metal. And I'm going to give a warning right now. It's got graphic content, so don't look at it unless you've got a strong constitution. But it basically displays in stark ways how dangerous nature can be. It's got animals eating each other, death and terror in all sorts of ways. We don't see all these things that we don't normally see because we live in a relatively safe world that our technology and our resources have, has provided for us. We've built cities and towns and houses and air conditioning, all these things that keep us from having to experience as much how metal nature is, how hardcore nature is. And the reason this Instagram page has such brutal content is not because they had to go looking for the most extreme cases, but it's because what Lewis says is true. As beautiful as nature is, I get nature is metal vibes from my cat hunting mice in my own backyard. It's a terrifying world out there. It's not hard to find brutal content in the world. It's a terrifying and dangerous place. So why does this tell us anything about the creator? Lewis is saying that that tells us things about God, but why? Let's imagine a painting. First, a painting with a bunch of scattered colors on white computer paper, and it's posted on a refrigerator. Well, if you were to look at that painting with no other context than what I just gave you, you could tell that its creator was probably a small child. And the reason why it's on a refrigerator is because the parents love the child, regardless of the quality of the painting, and they hung it up as a show of support. But if we imagine another painting, a beautiful Renaissance painting of the Madonna and child, what could you tell from that painting about its creator? You could probably tell that the artist was very skilled 
if you know anything about brush strokes and color choice. I don't know how you rate paintings, but I'm assuming those are things. I've heard those on TV. Uh, and if you look and see, well, this is of Mary and baby Jesus. Well, this person was probably religious. So you can tell that this artist appreciates beauty and is very skillful. And also that it's probably a religious person or a person who lives in a religious environment because of the object of the art. So in both of these cases and many more, you can look at a painting and from it derive some solid assumptions about the painter or the artist. So if nature, as we experience it, was formed by some creator, what does that tell us about the creator? What does the art reveal about the artist in this case? Well, as Lewis says, it's beautiful. So Lewis surmises that the creator must appreciate beauty. It's also dangerous and terrifying, as we've talked about. So that leads Lewis to say that he is, quote, quite merciless and no friend to man. Serious accusation. All right, so we've looked at nature, the external world everything outside of us that we can see, and the conclusions that that leads us to about God. But what else can we possibly examine? How else can we learn about the Creator? Lewis turns us to the interior world, our own minds, and our own experiences of morality specifically, and he says, The other bit of evidence is that moral law which he has put in our minds. And this is a better bit of evidence than the other, referring to nature, because it is inside information. Now, from this second bit of evidence, we conclude that the being behind the universe is intensely interested in right conduct, in fair play, unselfishness, courage, good faith, honesty, and truthfulness. In that sense, we should agree that the account given by Christianity and some other religions that God is good. So Lewis has us examine the moral law and find that the moral law values these traits of fairness, unselfishness, courage, honesty, truthfulness, etc. So if God created this moral law, just like how he created nature, we can assume rightly that he must also value these traits. And Lewis says that makes him good in some sense, kind of like what Christians claim. He seems to care about these values that we agree are good things. And in that way, just like God values external beauty in nature, it would seem that he values internal beauty as well, which is a really cool parallel. But does that parallel continue? If you remember from nature, we learned that he values beauty and what? Lewis said he is quite merciless and no friend to man. So if God values both external and internal beauty, does that mean that this terrifying danger is going to be paralleled as well? Well, let's see. Lewis has already said that God is good morally. But good, the way we're talking about it, doesn't necessarily mean nice. And Lewis describes the predicament that we're in. He says, The moral law does not give us any grounds for thinking that God is good in the sense of being indulgent or soft or sympathetic. There is nothing indulgent about the moral law. It is as hard as nails. It tells you to do the straight thing, and it does not seem to care about how painful or dangerous or difficult it is to do. If God is like the moral law, then he is not soft. There may be no sense in asking it to make allowances for you or to let you off, just as there is no sense in asking the multiplication table to let you off when you do your sums wrong. You are bound to get the wrong answer. So the moral law is good, as Lewis says, but it's not soft. It's a law. This life is not house rules monopoly, where you get to bend the rules or kind of make them up as you go along, whichever way is convenient for you. It's more like the multiplication table. Thinking back to fifth grade, Stephen, if I had said in my class that seven times seven is 51, and I said it really confidently, doesn't matter. I got the answer wrong. I can't put in a request that the multiplication table be adjusted just for the day to suit my error. They're not going to scratch off 49 on the multiplication table and add in 51. It doesn't work that way. 
And this is how morality is. Morality, as God has given it, is written in stone. And that's exactly what makes it reliable and beautiful, but also dangerous, and arguably more dangerous than nature could ever be. Why is that? Well, Lewis says, We know that if there does exist an absolute goodness, it must hate most of what we do. This is a terrible fix that we're in. If the universe is not governed by an absolute goodness, then all our efforts are in the long run hopeless. But if it is, then we are making ourselves enemies to that goodness every day and are not in the least likely to do any better tomorrow. God is the only comfort. He is also the supreme terror, the thing we most need and the thing we most want to hide from. This morality is not adjustable, but we find ourselves missing the mark all the time. We need God to be good, as Lewis explains, but we, we want a good and moral God. But if we ask him to get rid of all the evil in the world, then that would include us. He'd have to be rid of us as well. So we see from both of these sources, nature and morality, we learn essentially the same thing about God from both. One, that he appreciates beauty and goodness. And two, that at the same time, that beauty and goodness, the very thing that we look at God and say, like, that's pretty cool. It's also terrifying and dangerous to us. So Lewis kind of sums this up and says, God is our only possible ally, and we have made ourselves his enemies. Some people talk as if meeting the gaze of absolute goodness would be fun. They need to think again. They are still only playing with religion. And this is the fear of God, this unease that Lewis is referring to in the title of the chapter. It comes from the fact that we recognize how surpassingly good and beautiful God is. And at the same time, how we are at odds with his goodness. If he's good and we're at odds with him, that means we're the bad guys. And if he's as big and powerful as we say he is, that can mean that we're in serious danger as the bad guys. It makes me think of, I recently saw a video of a scientist collecting lava. I don't know why you would need to do this. It's basically just melted rock, right? But I guess he was a geologist and that's something important for them to do. Anyway, it, it was shocking to me because I remember seeing the movie Volcano when I was a little kid, the one with Tommy Lee Jones, and it still gives me nightmares. The idea of the lava like coming down and melting car tires and being so dangerous. So in this video of the scientist, in order to get near the lava to collect it, even to get close to it, he had to have all sorts of protective gear, heat reflective clothing, I suppose, and he had a special tool to scoop up the lava and dump it into a water bucket. Can you imagine if he walked up without any protective gear and just started trying to collect the lava with his hands? I'll tell you what, it wouldn't go well. That's what the goodness of God is like. It's dangerous. If you try to approach it carelessly without protection, you'd get burned. And this is what Lewis meant when he says that people are still only playing with religion if they think that meeting the gaze of absolute goodness would be fun. They misunderstand the danger of absolute goodness to us. So this recognition, the predicament that we're in here, this is why we should fear God. This is where fear of God comes from. But in the end, there is also the comfort that Lewis mentioned. For Christians, that's the gospel. The good news that Jesus is the way we bridge the gap between a holy, good God and us, broken, messed up human beings. So before we close, since we've looked into the fear of God and hopefully painted a picture of where that comes from, I want to kind of resolve that fear a bit and, and provide two resources for you. A video suggestion for you to watch after this podcast and a quote from an early church father that I absolutely love. So first, the YouTube video. It's a video made by The Bible Project from a few years back, and it's called How God Deals with Evil Without Destroying Humanity. A great title. It exactly explains part of what we were talking about today. 
And I always think about the imagery in this video specifically when I consider the danger of the goodness of God. So I'm going to put a link to that video in the show notes. I definitely suggest checking it out. Really, really cool. And it's given me a lot of thoughts on the subject. And secondly, I want to leave you with a quote from an early church father named Melito of Sardis. He was a second century bishop in Greece, and he was probably martyred under the Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius around the year 177. So really early on, this is second century church father. We only have fragments of his writings, but this one is taken from some fragments that were on the topic of the cross. I love this quote because it touches a lot about on what we talked about today, the beauty of nature that God created, and then it resolves that fear of God in the gospel message. So here it is. He that hung up the earth in space was himself hanged up. He that fixed the heavens was fixed with nails. He that bore up the earth was borne up on a tree. The Lord of all was subjected to ignominy in a naked body. God put to death. In order that he might not be seen, the luminaries turned away. The day became darkened because they slew God, who hung naked on the tree. This is he who made the heaven and the earth, and in the beginning together with the Father fashioned man, who was announced by means of the law and the prophets, who put on bodily form in the virgin, who was hanged upon a tree, who was buried in the earth, who rose from the place of the dead and ascended to the height of heaven and sitteth at the right hand of the Father. Such a beautiful quote. Such a high view of God and a high view of Jesus that in order to appease a beautiful and dangerous God that we should rightly fear, a beautiful and dangerous sacrifice was made. So today, we talked about fear of God, how we get there from nature and morality, and how the gospel relates to that. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't subscribed yet, please do. Share this episode with a friend and leave a five-star review. It really helps us get the word out to more people who would enjoy this content. If you want to reach out to me, you can either join my Locals page or tweet at MyApologiesPod. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, my name is Stephen Cram, and this is My Apologies. My Apologies.